Good morning, Christ Chapel. How are you this morning? Good, praise God. Love worshiping with you. Uh, I am so honored to get to walk through God's word with you uh, this morning. We've got a lot to dig into, and so let's get after it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, it's going to be page 809 in one of those uh, blue Bibles at all of the campuses. This morning we're going to wrap up this three-week series we've been in on on the marks of a spirit-filled church by looking at this third aspect of of not only our church's vision, but also this third aspect of what it looks like to be a spirit-filled person, a follower. We've talked about the spirit-filled church is a spirit-filled church because it's filled with God's people who are filled with his spirit. It's not Shekinah glory that we need in these walls. It's God's people walking in obedience to God's command and God's design. So that's where we've been. Week one, uh, we looked at the command for all Christians to be disciples of Jesus. Then last week, Cody walked us through what it looks like to make disciples for Jesus. And then this week, we're going to unpack the command to reach, to reach those who are outside of a relationship with Christ. Let me preview real quick just where we're going with our time and, and the sermon We're going to spend just a second defining, um, reminding ourselves kind of what our rhetoric is and and the vision of uh, really our church. We talked about in uh, the vision sermon this past January, but then we're going to look real carefully at Matthew 4 and Jesus' call in Matthew 4 and the clarity of who this command belongs to. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to really unpack how. How we do this, how we should walk out uh, a call really with looking at hopefully some really practical steps. I think, there's, I think there's hurdles in all of our lives that keep us from really getting off the, the starting line of what it looks like to really reach those uh, who don't have a relationship with Christ. And I think there's so many hurdles in our life that hold us back uh, and, and keep us either apathetic or in fear or insecure um, or just distracted. And so we're going to look at those and with God's word, hopefully kind of tear down some of those hurdles. Um, if you remember, Cody, in the vision sermon for our church in January, he defined this, this believer's call to reach others with this diagnostic question. And, and the question was, am I sharing Christ with others? Right? Am I sharing Christ with others? And then gave a specific challenge in that sermon to show and tell others of your relationship with Jesus. And then even gave some helps of, you know, write out your story of how you came to Christ. Just some real practical ways uh, to do that, some starting places to do that. Um, oftentimes when we hear, share Christ uh, with others, we, we think, um, you know, I'm spiritual conversations that I've got to have with my waiter at lunch today in between refills, or I, I think about handing out pamphlets to people on, on buses or those kind of things, right? But reach is so much broader than that. Reach is evangelism, but reach is also um, reaching those who are far from the Lord, those who maybe were in Christ, but they've wandered, they've become prodigal, and meeting them uh, where they're far out, and walking them back into a relationship and an identity that, that their father has already given them. Reach is when an individual is used by God used by God in a way that's not simply in their own power or their own savviness or their own gift mix, their own techniques, but it's a sovereign and powerful God working through individuals to woo people into a relationship with God. God working through his people to walk them either for the first time or walk them back to the relationship that we are designed to be in. Reach is being a part of the work of God to bring death to life 
to, to be a part of, of the work of God to take dry bones and rise them up, to take lives that are not flourishing and connect them back to their source. It is powerful to be a part of what God does through reach. It's powerful and it's beautiful and it is way out of our league. It's intimidating, right? It's an intimidating thing to be a part of that, to reach others. What if, what if I mess up? What if I don't have the answer? What if I don't know what to do? What if I ruin it? What if I turn somebody away? What if they see me as a hypocrite? What if I get rejected? Is it really mine to do? There's all these questions and doubts and hurdles. So I want to walk through scripture and I hope to encourage you that reach, the idea of reaching others for Christ can be as easy as making Gatorade. And let me explain why I use that as an illustration. Have you ever made Gatorade from powder? It's remarkably easy, guys. You just take powder and water. There's directions of how many scoops per how many gallons of water. I don't read directions. That is a, something my wife is working on that with me. Um, you, just, you just keep adding, right? If it's too sweet, then you just add more water. If it's too watered down, you just add more powder and you just go. You just take initiative and, and you work and you step into that and you make the adjustments you need to. Um, this last um, this last few weeks, a couple weeks ago, I got the opportunity to co-lead a mission trip. And so we, we took a big um, we took a big team out of the country down south and we were doing construction projects and kids programs and it was hot and sweaty and we were outside a lot. And so one of my responsibilities as a leader was to buy Gatorade for everyone, right? To buy those big, huge, you know, seven pound canisters of Gatorade powder so that we could, at all of our work sites and, and schools and villages, we'd have Gatorade to drink so we wouldn't get dehydrated. And so me and my brilliance, I, uh, I, bought, I bought five of those huge canisters. They make six gallons each. And I had a, a big, cool, fancy duffel bag, and I packed it in there, and I had work gloves. It was kind of my tool bag and trash bags and all that kind of stuff in this kind of work bag. And then I had my personal, you know, hard case, suitcase. Go to the airport, check in, land in the country, grab my personal suitcase, grab my duffel bag full of all kinds of good stuff that we were going to need that week, including five seven-pound canisters of Gatorade and leaving the airport and you got to put the bags on a scanner and, and walk back through. And so I'm walking back through and a customs agent's like, hey, I need to take a look at this bag, pointing to my duffel bag. <clears throat> I'm not worried. I'm a pastor. I don't have anything to hide. So I give him my bag and sets it on a counter, puts his gloves on, unzips the bag. Again, I put five canisters of Gatorade in a duffel bag that got tossed around for hours on tarmacs and planes and underbellies of jets. So as this customs agent opens this bag, it just reveals an entire bag of mysterious powder. <laughs> it was not a good look, right? He's thinking, what kind of a pastor are you? I'm, I'm Mormon, just so you know. I'm just kidding. I, didn't, I, did not, I did not say that. I took responsibility. I took responsibility. We quickly deduced uh, that this mysterious powder is just Gatorade because all of my canisters had exploded and my entire bag was now filled with, with tons, literally pounds of Gatorade powder. Figured it out. I didn't get arrested, guys. Praise God. Didn't get arrested. Got onto the trip. Got to the hotel. The next day was a church day. Got prepped. The, the next day was the first work day. And so you think, okay, <laughs> not a bright move to already made a mistake putting them in the duffel bag um, well, it gets, it gets uh, more boneheaded. 
I'm thinking, okay, I need to get, I need to get this bag all cleaned out because we need to use it for tools to separate things. And at the hotel, we had these, um, hand, these uh, foot washing stations because we're right there on the ocean and there's sand everywhere. And so if you've ever been to a hotel like that, they've got these stations to, you know, wipe off. If you go to the beach, you know, to, to clean off your sandals or you have your beach bag full of sand and you kind of rinse it out there right by your hotel entrance. And so I thought, oh, good, you know, just like sand, I'm just going to empty this thing out and wash it, wash it out. What happens when you add water to Gatorade powder? It makes Gatorade. It makes gallons and gallons of Gatorade on the sidewalk in front of the hotel. And everybody knows there is only two types of Gatorade to drink. There is blue Gatorade and red Gatorade. And Walmart was out of blue Gatorade. So I now have gallons of red Gatorade pouring down the sidewalk of our hotel. Also, not a good look for a pastor, or really not a good look for any citizen that doesn't want to get accused of murder. And there I am, <laughs> cleaning out this bag, and it's just creating more and more and more red Gatorade the more water I add to it, the more staining of the concrete I get. Um, we got through it. God still showed up that week. Great things. Again, I'm home. I didn't get arrested. All was good. Here's why I tell you that illustration. And here's why I want that illustration has a point. I want it to sear in your mind. I want you to think about Gatorade powder. And I want it to sear in your mind this idea that when you think about Gatorade, it's, it's powder plus water equals Gatorade, right? It is intrinsically designed in the chemical mix of that powder that when you add water, that Gatorade has no choice that powder to turn into delicious, electrolyte-filled, refreshing Gatorade. It is, it is in its design. That's what it does. Christians, followers of Jesus, within our very design of who we are and who we've called to be, when we come in contact with the saving work of Jesus Christ, his call, his regenerative, regenerative power in our heart, it has a, an inherent effect it should have an inherent effect in all believers to make fishers of men, to make people who have a heart to reach because that is God's design. Followers of Jesus, spirit of God, produces a follower that has a heart to reach others. It should, it should be that way. There's all these hurdles where that doesn't happen in my life and, and maybe your life too, but that is how it is, that following Jesus should inherently produce a life of reaching others for Jesus. It's built into the very call to follow Jesus in the first place. Don't let me make an authoritative statement like that without showing us in Scripture where it is. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Look at what God's Word says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus calling his very first disciples. He's just begun his ministry uh, on earth here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Do you see it? Do you see that? Jesus' call to his followers is, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? Inherent within the very first call that Jesus said to his disciples, inherent within that call is attached the idea of follow me and this will happen. You follow me and this is going to happen in your life. Following me will produce you becoming a fisher of men. And he's speaking to fishermen. And so they very well had a visual. They knew what it meant to bring fish in. But here Jesus, he was going to turn them into a people who brought others into a relationship with our God. So let's get practical and honest as to why 
reach is not happening more in our lives and, and my life as well. There's hurdles, right? One of the hurdles that happens, I believe, in our life and, and in our churches and in our personal call to reach is that this hurdle of reaching people is primarily for those with the gift of evangelism. It's a mistake that we make. It's a hurdle we get stuck at that keeps us from really being obedient to this design. Reaching people, that's just for the experts, right? That's just for the pastor, for the person with the evangelistic gift who's extroverted, right? Reach is for someone else, and you can certainly have that opinion, but you can't support that in Scripture, Right? Remember, we're not defining reach as wearing a sandwich board downtown with a megaphone, right? We're not defining reach as uh, just going on stage and debating an atheist and, and convincing the room of our theology of God. It's about reaching people who are far from a relationship with Christ and helping them to walk back to that relationship, maybe for the first time or maybe because they'd walked away for any number of valid reasons. And it's this consistent, inherent part of the Christian calling, the people of God, the Spirit of God, creating evangelists and disciple makers and people who have a heart for others and fishers of men at that point of regeneration in our heart. And there are people who are gifted, no doubt, in all manner of way. There are people who have a, a real spiritual gift of evangelism and, and really gifted in that. But the acknowledgement that there are specific gifts in those areas and there are people who, who are really inclined in those ways, the acknowledgement of that doesn't exempt you from still your responsibility to be obedient to that. We already saw in Matthew 4, it was Jesus' pitch from the get-go. There's no bait and switch from the get-go in Matthew 4 as he calls him. He says, this is what it's going to mean. This is what it's going to do if you follow me. But we also see it at the very end, the last thing Jesus tells his people before he ascends, the last thing he tells them. Remember Acts 1.8. We studied this uh, several weeks ago. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's for all believers to be witnesses, right? Filled with the Spirit of God and to be witnesses. He doesn't, he doesn't say you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you'll be a master of apologetics and, a, and an expert on all theological questions. Witnesses to observe and behold how Jesus met me in my sin and called me by his grace to repentance and to a nearness with him and to a, a life and life abundant, right? That's what we're witnesses for. And then I take that, what God has done, and I testify it as a witness would. And not just, and not just the transformation at my salvation or at your salvation, but the ongoing transformation, right? We, we don't just witness here, here was the, the salvation moment. We should be ongoing witnesses for the transformation taking place in an ongoing relationship with the king of kings. That's, that is what we do when we reach. Remember the habit that Cody shared from the, from the vision sermon months ago. Right? We show and tell others of your relationship with Christ. I love that. Show and tell others. Jesus taught and modeled it from the beginning of his ministry, literally when he called them to when he left his disciples. The disciples, the book that we're studying in Acts, at every turn are going to be showing and telling of who Jesus is. Most of the epistles are written to churches and, and groups and individuals, and they are showing and telling who Jesus is and, and how to have a relationship with him or how to return to a relationship with him. And it's our lives as witnesses to Jesus that, 
are intersecting with the Spirit of God so that our lives tell, they tell a story and they show the gospel with our lives. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Not as a witness for Christian community. That's not our, our end goal. Not as, a, not as a witness to church attendance, but to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're struggling to live a life of reaching others for Christ because either consciously or subconsciously you're leaving it up to an expert, you're waiting for someone else to do it, you're missing out on a part of your call, a part of what it looks like to obediently follow him. So how? Okay, so if that, if we are all on the hook, if, if you're following Christ, and if we're all on the hook for this call, this command from God, then how do we do it? Right, if we remove the hurdle of, well, it's not for me, okay, I see, beginning and end of scripture all throughout, it's for me, for you, how? I want to look at one of the greatest reachers um, of others in the early church era, the Apostle Paul. He breaks down this idea of reach in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's these three real practical building blocks for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be in 17 through the end of that chapter, 21, but let me just... Just look at verse 17, which might sound familiar to some of you. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because I feel like we circle this just about every week, and, and hopefully we always will, but I hope you're seeing a consistency in God's word that it starts with you being Right? It starts with you being his. That reach ring that we've talked about, it starts with you being a new creation. How do you reach others? You reach others as the new creation you were rescued to be. That's the how. The how is the identity that we are given, that was purchased for us. We reach others by being the new creation we were rescued to be. Like we've already seen, like we've discussed, the primary fuel for reaching others is not your knowledge, it's not your personality. It's not your talent. It's your changed life. That's your fuel to reach others. I was dead. I was ruined. I was stuck. I now have new life. I now have freedom. That, that idea of newness in the Greek there in verse 17, right? New, it's an adjective, but we see that idea of the new has come. It's this perfect tense word there that emphasizes the the present or ongoing action of, of a completed action, right? The ongoing result. It's a, a present tense. So it's, it's the, the new creation is this ongoing newness. It's not the one time I was made new, but ah, then I slipped up again after I got saved. No, there's this ongoing newness that God has created in those who are his. Um, but the hurdle is, well, I don't feel confident, right? I don't feel confident. I don't, I don't feel competent yet. So, so often, sure, I'm, I'm called, I get it, and I'm a new creation, but gosh, I just don't feel confident. This hurdle of just my own insecurity of getting off the starting line because I don't feel confident reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, um, Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then he says, always being prepared to make a defense, or in some translations it's going to say to give an answer, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What if I'm not prepared to give an answer, right? This hurdle of my confidence, what if I don't have the right answers? What if I reach someone 
And they start asking questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't have a defense. I'm not prepared. I don't have enough theological knowledge. I need, I need more classes. I need more study. I need, I need more equipping before I can actually do this. Well, usually in this verse, 1 Peter 3, we get hung up on that be prepared to give an answer or be prepared to give a defense. And I think we often miss what I think is the most convicting part of that verse. Right? I think the most convicting part of that verse is, to, is that part where Peter says, to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's within you. This verse is assuming people will come to you, they will see your life as a new creation, and they will come to you, and they will ask, what is that? What is that hope? What is that freedom? What is that joy that doesn't make sense? This verse, the convicting thing for me is, am I living in a way? It's not, do I, am I ready for my defense? It's, are people coming up to me saying, what is your life? How do you have that freedom? How do you have that joy? How are you this new creation in in the midst of all of this? Or I know your past and yet look at you now. Right? That, That is this beautiful convicting thing. My shame is gone by God's grace. My legalism is gone because I'm saved by God's grace. Reaching others is a new creation. That is where my confidence comes from. That is where your confidence has to come from. That fear of, well, I don't have enough answers, it doesn't come from what you know. It comes from who you are. I have a current relationship with a holy God that I didn't earn. It was purchased for me by Christ's death and his resurrection. I want to really practically encourage you. Don't be paralyzed by what you, by what you don't know that might keep you from reaching people, but instead be confident of who you know. You know Jesus, if you know Jesus, stand in that. Stand in that. And if you want to grow in reaching people, grow in your relationship with Jesus, in your likeness of Jesus. And and listen, I don't want to encourage you in that way and trade being intimidated by not having enough information or being ready with the defense. And, And instead, hopefully, we start to be diffused from, okay, well, maybe it's not about knowing enough. I don't want to trade that intimidation for now an intimidation of, oh, I don't think I have been changed enough, right? I don't think I look, I don't think I walk as a new creation enough to where people, I don't want you to trade one intimidation for another. Listen, my testimony uh, was made a new creation, right? I believe that that truth took place over my soul and I was covered by Jesus' righteousness, but it was not a light switch in my life. Right? I often refer to my testimony as much more like a dimmer and not a light switch. I, I don't have a testimony where it's like, yes, it was this and now it was this. I believe theologically I was dead in my sins and now I'm made alive and nothing could change that. Nothing could pluck me from God's hand for that. But my life was a dimmer. And sometimes you got to really squint at times in seasons of my life. But, but God's was flowing through me and, and working in that way. To show and tell others about your relationship with Christ is not about having all the answers, right? It's just about having a relationship. That's where it starts. It doesn't have to be a perfect relationship. It won't ever be a perfect relationship on this side of eternity. Let me give you a quick illustration. I think lands this idea because it feels intuitive. Um, if at lunch tomorrow somebody comes up and they say, hey, Ben, I know you and I know you talk about your wife, Danielle, but I don't believe she exists. I think you've made up Danielle to be more relatable with the church, right? Because it'd be weird, you know, to not, you know, and so you're just saying it to be likable and all of those things. And I don't think she's really a person. I don't think you're really married. First of all, that'd be a really weird encounter. Um, But, you know, 
I would be like, okay, well, let me, let me prove it. Let me tell you, and, and maybe she's not there with me at lunch, and so I have a conversation. Maybe my wedding ring, well, that doesn't necessarily prove anything. Maybe I don't have my phone on me, so I can't call her. can't really show pictures. And so and maybe this guy's really put me in a corner and really got some questions that I can't produce the evidence that my wife, Danielle Fuquay, actually exists. I, I can't quite figure out exactly how to answer that question. Oh, I've never actually been challenged in that way. But, but it doesn't rock my confidence. Right? I, I wouldn't be flustered and insecure. Wait, because I had breakfast with her that morning. Because I have a relationship with her. Because I met with her. And so I might have to be like, huh, that's a good I don't, yeah, I don't have a picture. I'll, I'll get back to you on that, right? Our relationship with Christ to a lost world around us, they might not believe. They might want evidence. They might want to, and we can take our time with that, but our foundation isn't rocked because we say, yeah, I'm, I want to introduce you to this God I met with this morning that I had my coffee with, talking and reading and, and listening to. I want to introduce you to that God, and that changes our confidence, right? So keep cultivating that reminding yourself of what he's done. Remember Cody's help was, you know, write out your story of when he changed your life. Keep writing it out, journaling, right? Continue to write out what God is doing and cultivate that muscle and that faith. Don't hear me say you shouldn't pursue theology and apologetics and learning. Those are great tools to build on the, the foundation of faith. Yes, we continue to learn. Next, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this, Paul says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let me unpack this passage real real quickly. Uh, Again, I think this reiterates this consistent, inherent call within our own salvation. You see it again here, right? He reconciled us and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He saved us and he put us in the game. Right there, tied together intrinsically all throughout God's word. But how? Right, we reach others by seeing the world around us as your mission field. He reconciled the world to himself and then he gave us that ministry. So that we might be reconciled reconcilers of the world around us. Cody touched on this last week uh, in Matthew 28. This idea that we are called to make disciples as we go through our life. Right, The same is true here. What's the world you live in? Who, who are the relationships and the people that you're around? The neighbors, the co-workers, the family members, the friends, the people you have favor with. Might not be the only place to reach others, but that's a starting place. The world you live in. You are in your mission field. And the hurdle so often for us, another real practical hurdle is, I don't know who to start with. Okay, I'm in the game and I'm going to be confident in who Christ, what Christ has done in me, but who? Right, who? And maybe it's because you would say, well, I'm around Christians. I'm around Christians all all day and I'm just around, my community is Christians and that's a, that's a good, healthy thing to be in community and be known. So you say, well, maybe I'm around Christians. Or maybe you're in the other camp on the other side of the pendulum and you think, man, I'm around people who are really hostile. Where I work, it's, I mean, it's frowned upon. I'm not allowed to share it. I mean, they're really hostile to it. How do I even do this? Nobody really wants that. I want to challenge you from this passage, some observations that you see reach less about conversion and more about a personal relationship with Jesus. 
right, that reach is less about a conversion, right? Let me make this observation from the passage we, we just read. I want you to hear this. The goal we see here is not heaven. The goal is more of Jesus. That's the goal. Verse 18, God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, not God who reconciled us to get into heaven and then gave us the job to get more people into heaven. The goal is not eternal life, but it's more of Jesus. That's, that's what it is for myself, for the mission field around me. That, that's the goal. And that changes and that expands the broadness of who my mission field and who I might see my mission field is. Right? It changes the way I practically go about reaching others. Make no mistake, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And there is an exclusive way through Christ and Christ alone to, to spend an eternity with him. But, but heaven is not great because it's heaven. Heaven is great because it's all of him. That's the goal. And so practically, all of a sudden, it gets broader, right? And so if I say, this is what happens, real practically. If I say, well, I'm around just a bunch of people who are already in. They're already in. They're already saved, right? All my friends are Christians. Understanding God's word better here today, this God's command, it takes down that hurdle. Because my goal isn't and was never to get them in. My goal is to try to identify people who need more Jesus, that's the goal. And that category is huge. No longer is it binary. I need to find a, a switch to flip. It's now, I, I want to find people who are in my life, who maybe are, are Christians, but they need more of Jesus. And they are far from him. That is such a broader category when I start to evaluate who, God, who do I reach? And some of you, some of you this morning are in that category. And praise God. You're far from Jesus. You've wandered from him. Praise God that you're here. Church should be a safe place where you can come with your doubts and with your mistakes and not have to fake it and not, not be embarrassed or, or pretend that that isn't a true reality for you. Right? A spirit-filled church is a place that you should always feel welcome not welcome to stay in your sin, but welcome to get more of Jesus, right? And on the other side of that pendulum, on the other side of the pendulum of people who say, man, but gosh, people in my life aren't even pretending, right? They don't even pretend to be believers. They're hostile towards it. I don't even know who to start with because they're all hostile towards it. Well, they're not really interested in the sales pitch of Christianity. Good news, that's not what we're offering, right? We're, remember, we're just offering the testimony of our life. One action, one conversation, one interaction, one at a time to show people this relationship. People are in your life. Don't dismiss part of your mission field to reach because they've already been converted. And don't dismiss part of your mission field because they're not interested in being converted. See those people, love them the way that you were loved and testify to the newness and the hope that you were given and couldn't earn it. I want, I want to show you a video of a friend of mine who, who really personified this in, in just a, a great and encouraging example. Watch the story. I think what I have learned through this whole experience of my life is that God is faithful and he will allow us to bloom right where we're planted. Well, I'm Susan Turner. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home and have always been involved in church. Was married for 21 years and it didn't last. Divorce 
occurred, and it rocked my foundation. So after the divorce, um, it was really hard because I was married to a deacon, and I was so active in my church, and I no longer felt welcome in that church, and almost felt like I was being encouraged to leave. I kept trying to find somewhere that as a single adult divorced woman, I could fit. So this led me finally to Christ Chapel because the gifts God has given me, I'm able to use them. And that's all I was ever looking for. One day I was sitting in church and Cody was talking about the vision and he said, we are gonna do ministry in our own backyards. So when Cody gave that challenge, I was like, I should do ministry in my own backyard. If I'm gonna stay here till I die, then I might as well get to know my neighbors. So I started with what I called the ladies lunch bunch. I thought, well, what if nobody comes? Well, 28 women showed up at my house and I was like, oh my word. And what that showed me People are hungry for community in their neighborhood. And so out of that, I was like, well, I just love gardening. And so I thought, I'll start a garden club. So I started a garden club and it took off. Then out of the ladies' lunch bunch and the garden club came what I was really wanting was the Bible study. I have one friend who had gone through a divorce and she had just, she wasn't in church. And through all these opportunities to be around people and to be in the Bible study, well, she's now back in church. I mean, God is working in this neighborhood. Eight months ago, I did not know these people. I just stepped out in faith, trusting God to bring some ladies to my home. And what's been neat about it is it's opened doors for me to talk about my love for Christ. I used to be able to walk or run in my neighborhood. I can't get a good cardio workout anymore because every time I go out to walk or to run, it's like anybody that's out walking, if I'm out, they stop and talk. That didn't used to happen. I have so many friends out here now. The culture of our neighborhood has changed from a bunch of strangers to a bunch of people who know each other. That was the catalyst that God used in my life to say, hey, quit focusing on your circumstances. Focus on me, trust me, and I'll do great things through you. And look what he's done. It's just been incredible. Really is incredible. Really is incredible. Yeah, praise God. Susan just was obedient. Here's my mission field. Here's where I'm planted. I'm just going to start opening up and, and look what God did. Her neighborhood was her mission field, her strategy. She wasn't selling anything. She was just inviting them in, into her life, into her relationship with Jesus. Last passage we're going we're to touch on, these last two verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So much beautiful truth in that passage. We are ambassadors. I, I love that that word is used, right? Ambassadors are, are in a foreign land representing their king. They're there representing their home and surrounded as an advocate, as an ambassador 
And then this idea that God is appealing. It's God's appeal through us. Listen, real practically, we reach others by his power. His power by allowing God to work through you. That's how you reach others. By allowing his power to work through you. What if I can't keep up? What if I make a mistake? What if I blow it? You will. You will, right? You will, and, and that is okay. It is okay for you to, to not do this perfectly. If you need to hear that from me, right, just continue to move, and, and you add powder, and you add water, and you just keep walking in the Spirit, and continue in obedience. And listen, if someone you love, and somebody you felt called for, and somebody you felt called to reach you felt like you never were able to reach them. You were never able to be effective the way you desired. I need you to hear me say this because there's some people who need to hear this. You wanted to reach them and that window seems closed now. It is not your fault. I didn't reach them the the way I, I wanted to see the effects in their life. Listen to me. That's not your fault. He works through us. We never had the power to be effective in the first place. And he's not calling us to be effective. He's calling us to be obedient. And he will be effective. And he is good. And we can trust him even when we don't see the results that we want. It's not your fault because it's his power in the first place. So do not carry a burden that isn't yours in disobedience to Scripture. Walk radically in obedience. But don't walk in, I I couldn't do it. I failed. It's not your fault. He makes his appeal through us. And we think, but what about the risk? I'd risk losing friends and favor with people. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. It is. Yeah, we're going to practically step into this hurdle with a reminder. And here's here's how we're going to end the sermon. That hurdle of, but... But the risk and the difficulty and how I've tried and been rejected, all of those things, we're going to end and shut that hurdle down by the power of the Holy Spirit, by this reminder for believers of communion. Right? We take communion together if you are in Christ as believers as a reminder of our Savior who did the hard thing. Right, who, who sat in a garden and said, Lord, if, Father, if it be your will, would this cup pass for me? But then he was obedient to the point of death. The verse, that last verse in chapter 5, we just read, For our sake God made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ, let's take communion as a reminder of the body that was broken and the blood spilled. Would what Jesus did for us on that cross that purchased and rescued for us this ability to be new creations in Christ, the body broken and the blood spilled, would we remember and would we be motivated by the Spirit in us and by the reminder of what he has done? 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
take and eat. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. I'm going to pray. Worship bands are going to come out in all of our venues, and they're going to lead us. If you want to stand and worship, you can. If you want to sit and be worshiped over and remember what he's done and and sit on this truth, these places are sanctuaries for you to do just that. Would we walk in obedience to what God has not only called us to do, but equipped us through the Spirit of God? Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful that you are a God who saves and redeems and reconciles us, Lord. You have reconciled us to yourself And then you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. Father, would we walk that out? And even now, would we remember how you invite us to your table? God, those who are in Christ, by your grace, you allow us to come and sit at your table. Would that motivate us to be inviters for others to come and sit at the table with our Father, the one we're designed to be connected with? Be glorified. In the name of Jesus. Amen.